the high desert in far east west Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with Bet Sports TV rating. Greetings and a happy long 4th of July weekend uh, to those of you who are on the long 4th of July weekend. I'm Robert Seidman and uh, this is a bonus podcast with Anthony Krupe. It seems like uh, only last week I was trying to keep these podcasts under an hour and uh, then I wound up going around 80 minutes with Richard Deitch. Uh, please note... Uh, technology for recording these calls has been a work in progress for me, and for both the uh, the Anthony Krupe and the Oriana Schwint tapings, I had problems where there there was lag when it came to hearing myself in the headphones, and the lag got worse the longer the call went on. So if I sound dazed and confused, it's not your imagination. I was actually dazed and confused. Uh, I fixed that uh, issue uh, for subsequent podcast tapings, but unfortunately not soon enough for uh, the podcast with Anthony and Oriana. In this bonus episode, Anthony Krupe talks about how he wound up writing about the TV business and uh, why you never really hear the advertisers negotiate in public. Enjoy. Um, was there anything we didn't uh, we didn't touch on? Well, there there are a couple of things. So first, how'd you wind up at advertising age all the way back? Like, how'd you get I'll, into I'll, the TV business? I'll do a, I'll do a, a truncated version of the story, but it's it's kind of funny because um, it, it was just a series of accidents. Basically, um, I did study journalism uh, when I was in college. I got a double major at BU. Uh, I had uh, uh, literature and, and journalism, and uh, I got a master's. But and for a little while, I was sort of thinking about maybe getting a master's in journalism. And I realized that is probably the biggest waste of money I could ever think of because I don't know what else. I I don't want to denigrate my own profession, but do you need two more years of school to learn not to make stuff up? And like, (laughs) there's just doesn't seem to be enough uh, to the craft to justify spending that kind of money. So I did something, I, I, I did something even more uh, theoric and ridiculous and, and got a master's in Irish literature, uh, wow. which I use a lot. Yeah. Always sneaking <laughs> references to Finnegan's Wake in my copy. Uh, so I had thought I was going to get a PhD and stay in academia forever, but that it didn't work out. It turned out I didn't like uh college kids. Uh, so that was a speed bump. Um, I didn't really like college kids when I was a college kid. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I went to Martha's Vineyard as one does when one has a master's in Irish literature. And, uh, I ran a bar for a couple of years and, uh, uh, I met a woman who, uh, uh, was, a, a dancer with, uh, uh, what, what was his name? Um, Merce Cunningham. And she was bartending across the street and, uh, we started dating and I wound up moving to New York with her. And I was, eventually it was going to move to New York, uh, sooner or later, but it made it a lot easier to, to have somebody who was already there and had an apartment and stuff because, uh, my uh, adult skills are are pretty limited, and the idea of finding my own apartment, especially then, was uh, probably outside of my skill set. So I uh, I came to New York right before the uh, dot com wave, and uh, I wound up getting a job 
uh, back then the village voice had probably a good 10, 15 pages of classified ads just for jobs. And half of them were dot coms, uh, because I think the Silicon Alley and the VCs all kind of thought, um, we shouldn't be behind San Francisco in terms of media. That that should never happen. Um, so they were just, everybody was just throwing money around. Um, so I got a job at a, at a big content factory called Urban Box Office. And I think her burn rate was something like $73 million in 18 months. Uh, and uh, it was great. I, I remember at one point I got three raises in a week because three different people just like would pull me aside and say, you're doing a really good job. There's going to be something extra in your check. And so that was like the, the level of disorganization and stuff. We had a launch party at the Statue of Liberty. Uh, it was pre 9-11, so you could still do stuff like that. Right. And they flew Britney Spears in for no reason because she had nothing to do with anything that we were doing um, and paid her like 500 grand. And we, we paid $3 million to rent the place out. And, Glory um, days. This was a launch party, and we hadn't launched anything yet. <laughs> we didn't launch anything for another three months. So it was that kind of thinking. And um, so when the end came, I, I had, you know, I was pretty much prepared for it. Uh, and, uh, but I had hired this woman who was the web director at adweek.com. It's a very primitive version of it. It was like, uh, the interface was this tan background and it was red and black text over it. It's just really awful. Not even, um, no, no art or anything, certainly no video. Um, uh, so I had hired her maybe three weeks or four weeks before we started going under and I had to lay her off and I felt really bad. So I took her out to lunch and she was like, Oh, uh, you should meet my boss. You'd really get a kick out of him." And I almost didn't go up. Uh, we were right around the corner from where uh, Adweek was at the time, uh, 770 Broadway, which um, is the Wanamaker building, which I always right. thought was really funny. One Nielsen was in there Uh so it's almost perfect that Nielsen was headquartered in the Wanamaker building. And two, just the idea that like most of the people who worked there had no idea why the Wanamaker thing was funny in the first place. You know, I know I'm missing half of my impressions. I just don't know which half they are. Uh, <laughs> so I almost blew that off. And then at the last minute, my brain told me to oh, meet this guy, you know, you're, you're going to, you're out of a job. So you should make as many contacts as possible. And uh, I go upstairs and uh, I meet this guy, Bill Glody, and I immediately am just like, I will walk through hell for this guy. Uh, he was wow. like, he's a really big guy, bald, uh, kind of looks like Michael Chiklis. If Michael Chiklis was roughly three times his size and he was like projectile sweating out of his head and he was screaming into the phone, but he wasn't like yelling at someone. He was just really enthusiastic. Steve really Ballmer. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's, Oh, that's what an editor should be like. So he, he asked me, he's like, well, you know, did you, did you eat? And I was like, well, we just came for lunch. He's like, well, did you drink? I was like, oh no, it's, you know, it's, two o'clock on a Tuesday. He's like, let's, let's go have some booze. I was like, all right. So we went around the corner and had just an obscene amount of booze. And um, he hires me halfway through. And I keep pestering him because I was like, are you even going to remember this? 
Uh, and so he's like, I'll write it on my hand. So he like writes my name on, on his hand. Uh, and then he insists that we go back and I fill out paperwork. And I'm saying, well, maybe I shouldn't meet with HR right now because I'm sort of seeing triple at this point. And it just seems like it'd be a weird, he goes, all right, well, I'll just, I'll just set you up at your desk. And so he sets me up at my desk and he goes, there's your phone, uh, there's your mouse, there's your monitor. I think you can figure everything out. And I was like, it's okay, thanks. So he goes in his office, he closes his door. My phone rings two seconds later. I just see his name on the thing. It just says, Glody. So I pick it up and I'm like, hello. He's like, Crope, I can't see straight. I'm going home. I suggest you do the same. And I was like, okay, should I come in tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, absolutely, come in. And I was like, there's no way he's going to remember. There's just no way. And I come in, and he pretends for a good 20 minutes that he has no idea who I am. So that was just really, really fun. <laughs> um, and so, so, he, so that was 1999, 2000? Yeah. Yeah. And he, so what happened was we, uh, he got an offer to go work for a title that was owned by prime media, which also owned, uh, inside.com, which was a really cool thing for about a cup of coffee. And a lot of great journalists came out of it. Right. Um, but it was another one of those, the business model was, uh, we make content. There is in sort of an empty question mark in the middle and then see somehow we make profit and we're not sure what it was. And, you know, the dot-com boom, certainly the bust didn't, didn't help matters. But so he went to this thing, Cable World, and uh, I followed him over there. And I started writing about uh, cable technology mostly. And this was when uh, the DVR and VOD first started getting rolled out. And I, I thought that was an interesting uh confluence of events because my way of thinking is this is going to completely destroy the advertising model. And I, maybe I was just naive, but I could not get anybody to agree with me about that. And there was an executive who no longer works in the TV business. And it's probably for the best who swore up and down, uh, that the DVR would not do anything because one, uh, well, we've already seen TiVo, and, and there's very little enthusiasm for TiVo. And it's like, well, no, but that, first of all, that's complete. Anyone who has a TiVo loves it. But you're saying there's not as much penetration because it's expensive. But the, the DVR, the generic DVR is like 5 to $6 a month. That's the thing. That's the thing you got to worry about. And the guy was like, well, you know what? The thing is, people really like advertising. It's like, what? No, they don't. No one likes that. Our advertising is the worst, says the guy who writes for advertising. Age. Um, and the, then he says, oh, well, well, what about the Super Bowl? It's like, well, you can't compare regular run-of-the-mill, blah, 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 spots and dots to the Super Bowl. That, that, that's like a completely specious argument. So, you know, it, I started really kind of following that stuff and um, – as we got bought out, and so I've, usually what happens is they get rid of the top people in editorial. So Lodi left, and so I didn't want to be there anymore. And I went to a, a conference 
and I ran into someone who I remembered from when I was ad week on the dot com side. Uh, actually, it was Media Week, and uh, she covered the TV beat and had told told me she had just decided to leave, and that what I should do is get get a hold of the editor before you know they made the position public. And I kept trying to get a hold of the guy because this was like, oh, this is this is perfect for me. You know, this is right. this is going to be more about television, but it's really marketplace stuff, and you know, this is everything that I've been kind of building up to. Um, and I couldn't get a hold of the guy, and I was just really like, oh, somebody else is going to get it. And and I was at JFK picking up my luggage, and uh, the guy calls me, and he's like, you know, can you come in today? And so I wind up going, and he's in the same office that Glody was in before, uh, and uh, and couldn't be more uh, different, <laughs> you know, a, a much more uh, soft-spoken, thoughtful, uh, cheerful guy. And uh, he kind of hired me on the spot. And uh, so I kind of, I was there um, for almost 10 years. Wow. And uh, so it was really just kind of um, just bumbling into stuff, you know, just meeting the right people and um, always knowing, like, I was probably going to have to do something in terms of um, writing because I can't do anything else. I am useless. Uh, I mean, I can bartend. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, I just had no clear conception of how I was going to get, you know, from point A to point B, and then and just sort of as a, you know, other people made made it happen much more than me being a, a proactive type of guy. That's uh, a good. That's a great story. Yeah, it's, it, it just means I'm lazy, but uh, <laughs> I'm afraid that my luck's going to run out. And then the next thing that happens, it'll be like uh, I'll be waiting around for someone to just hand me a job. Like in, I'll be standing in Grand Central just going, anybody, anybody? <laughs> people will be like, well, no. Well, you're, you're very good at what you do. Uh, so I don't think well, luck is everything. It's Yeah, it's, it's – you know, that's the one thing I like about the job is that you uh, – you start building up connections with people. And once people realize that, you, you know, you sort of know what you're talking about and you're not going to make them look ridiculous and they can trust you with certain things. And a big part of it, honestly, is do they really like having you around? Like I get invited to a lot of things that, you know, I got called in to, to, to sit in on that Fox front pitch with group M and, right. you know, they just don't do that. They don't let reporters into that kind of stuff. And I, I think the Fox guys just don't mind having me around. Um, and as long as, you know, the Group M people signed off on it, um, you know, they knew they were going to get a cool story out of it. And uh, so the more opportunities I have to do stuff like that, the, the happier I am because I can differentiate myself from the rest of the pack. But also I would so much rather do, you know, that that deeper dive stuff than the you know, the drips and drabs and, you know, content is everything and you got to keep feeding the beast and stuff. But at least we have so many other verticals that I don't feel like I have to write up something just because it, you know, crosses the, the transom, right. I guess. Hey, so, but, uh, you know, as long as it's, as long as it's still fun, uh, I, 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 the sports stuff really helps though. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what it'd be like writing about TV without support. These days, 
Yeah, I can't either. So speaking of Group M, so I think I may have asked you this before, but like observationally in, in reading any of the TV media, including the, the trade media, how come it's uh, it's always network execs and, and middlemen like Group M uh, ne- negotiating publicly about uh, ratings changes? How come the uh, advertisers never play that game? Um, I'm going to say something that I totally probably shouldn't be saying, but uh, I always kind of feel like the advertisers are the like they're kept in the dark most of the time. Uh, they, I, I, I kind of feel like uh, you know they're they're almost sitting on the bench during the whole process. You know they don't go into the room to, to negotiate. It's the buyers versus the sellers, and the, you know the buyers act on behalf of their client, but the clients seem to be kind of almost like, uh, even though it's their money that keeps the system going, they're they're almost pushed off to the side a little bit when when the bulk of the the deals are being done, um, and obviously there's relationships that go back a million years, and uh, it, 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 there's there's probably the the network sales guys might have a deeper connection with the clients they've been working for forever just because of the nature of that particular dynamic. But right. um, I also feel like it's, you know, the, the, the buyers and the sellers that negotiate in public are just basically manipulating the market. And, uh, it's, it's at this point, it's, it's so predictable, um, which is another one of my beefs about why it doesn't really make sense to cover this stuff is someone is always, you know, the, the buying side is always going to try to squash anything about CPM increases and and certainly dollar volume. And the sellers are always going to try to inflate it. Now there are, Sellers that are much more, uh, their let's say their take is a little less uh, inflated. There is a little more in keeping with reality. Right. And then there's others that will just tell you something and expect you to write it, and you're like, there's, "No, I'm sorry. There's no way you did an X percent dollar volume increase." I've done the math three times. You can't convince me that this is a thing. And also, and I get it, the buyers are going to say, you know, it was this rather than this because they're still outstanding deals. But I I can't get any third party to to back you up on this. So there's been years where a network will really try to pump up their business because, say, they're done with mm, 60% of their upfront deals and maybe their pricing isn't exactly where they want it. So they want a couple, especially the trades to, to do a little, uh, you know, Jack lemon for them and, and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, like, uh, Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I need you to sign on the line. Damn it. I just, uh, you know, just sign it for God's sake. I'm out there and I don't have the Glenn Gary leads. And so I, so I'm always really wary of that kind of thing because, you know, to the extent that uh, information can change the 
the face of the negotiations, you never want to have anything to do with that because that's not your job. Right. So, you know, you're, you're, you're supposed to be, uh, uh, it's not, uh, uh, what do you call it? The breaking bad. What was, what was his, uh, what was his, uh, black hat name? Oh my goodness. Heisenberg. Yeah. Heisenberg. I, I'm thinking of that uncertainty theorem, you know, where if you observe something, you change the, the nature of the chemical reaction. So the idea of writing about something and having that somehow impact what's actually going on, that's, that's terrible. But you, you know, you just kind of see that thing an awful lot because you'll get someone who, who maybe isn't getting the rate increases that, that they think they, you know, deserve and they'll come and say, Hey, we'll give you an exclusive, uh, you know, we're doing 8%, you know, increases in our CPMs. And then you talk to other people and maybe even other networks and it's probably closer to five. And you're like, well, I can't, I can't use this. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't do anything with this. But, uh, so I think that's a big part of the reason why I've just sort of pulled myself out of a lot of that because it just doesn't because again well in the long run none of those numbers uh you're never going to see those numbers in a in an earnings report right um but if you go in and uh look at the first quarter earnings that'll probably tell you more about what actually happened in the upfront than right. any you know press release or leaks i think it was maybe 12 years ago abc for it was the first and only time a network had done this, but they basically uh, came out and said they filed this with the FCC, so it was it was something that they they couldn't play fast and loose with the numbers. They said exactly what their volume was and exactly what their price increases were, and I think it was an effort on at the time it was Mike Shaw was running ad sales. It might have been Mike's attempt to try to wrest the narrative back to, all right, if we're going to keep talking about these things that are all kind of hypothetical and they're placeholders and this and that and the other thing, let's let's stand by it. Let's let's put out the actual numbers and let's file it with the FCC and uh, or the FCC and um, that way everyone knows there's no you know, monkey business going on and. I think he might have been hoping that everybody else would follow suit, but if anything, it probably got worse uh, to the point where there were years where people were just making claims that you you could not, you, you just couldn't square them with with any kind of picture of reality. Yeah, I think so I, ultimately, I think it was Michael Learmonth who uh, coined unaudited boasting. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that, I, I think. You, yeah, I, I, well, I think we've all kind of had that, uh, you know, epiphany. It just depends on whether you act on it or not. So I wrote, I guess it was, I want to say 2015, but I basically wrote almost like a manifesto, which I said, this is why we're not going to cover it that way anymore. Um, and uh, and I'm trying to stick with that because, you know, we and, and you talk to any... TV, you know, anybody who writes about the marketplace, we all agree about it. So it's just a matter of like whether 
maybe your editor is pushing for it, or maybe it's just force a habit, or you just got to feed the content monster. Uh, but I, I, I think most people, especially the people who've been covering it a long time and really know what the deal is, sort of like, yeah, you know, it's just something that we got to do and blah, 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 blah. Whereas, you know, my argument now is eh, we don't have to, so let's not. <laughs> Anthony, thanks uh, for joining me on this episode. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking to you. Thanks for having me, Robert. It's great to be here. Next time on the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with Ed Sports TV ratings, Around the Horn producer Aaron Solomon. Uh, maybe we'll find out if uh, reality penalizes panelists for using uh, a Goodfellas pop culture reference when it gets shirty pop culture reference is more appropriate. We probably won't find that out. Anyway, if you are on a long holiday weekend and are listening to this but haven't listened to podcasts with Richard Deitch, John Orand, and uh, Austin Karp of Sports Business Journal, uh, the original Anthony Krupe podcast where we go long on out-of-home measurement and uh, and talk ratings for quite a while. What are you waiting for? Also available are podcasts with Philadelphia Inquirer's Jonathan Tannenwald, former Variety reporter Ariana Schwint, who is now exploring Centerville, USA, ESPN, ESPN PR's Derek Volner, and Bill Gorman, who was the brains behind TV by the Numbers. Okay, now now you listen and you listen good, see? What you got to do is, I got this show. It's going to do an 07 and C7. Well, it's a piece of fucking shit, that's why. <laughs> but but, but, but it, it, you know how the dynamics work. So what, what you're going to do is you're going to pay me a 7% CPM. Oh, don't fuck around with me, God damn it! It's a fucking sign of the line that's dotted. Jesus fucking Christ. Don't, don't give me that look. <laughs>